0: I remind you to join me as we read the scripture together. We'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke from 1, 46 through 49. Let's read together. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Brandon Blackston. I'm one of the associate pastors here. I'm excited to be with you this morning, excited to share and, uh, and to get to experience this Christmas season. So how's everyone's blood pressure after watching that video? Do <laughs> you feel good about, uh, about your preparations for Christmas thus far, or do you feel like you're already behind? I don't know about you, all. I'm doing pretty well this year. I bought a gift in October. You can hold the applause. But uh, I also stopped shopping in October, so I've got I've to catch up. But, you know, Christmas is one of those times, it's it's exciting, we look forward to it all year, and then it gets here and we're just like, oh my gosh, Christmas is here, I've got to get ready for it. And we start making all the preparations, you know, and, and we start shopping and going out and making lists and trying to find exactly the perfect gift that that uh, will just knock the socks off of whoever you're buying for. And, and I've got to say, now that I've got a kid, we haven't really gotten there yet, but, but I can remember talking to my mom and being really specific about the gift that I wanted. And if it was in any shape different, then I was not going to be happy. I have a lot more sympathy for her now than I did whenever I was making those requests, because it's difficult. And uh, finding the perfect thing, getting it here on time, realizing that Amazon divines two days differently than you do, and and what is up with that. But but it's a challenging time. And and we get our calendars become so full, and we have to go to every single thing. and, And we've got spending time with our friends and then I've got a work party and my spouse has a work party and then we've got this family Christmas and this family Christmas and then this family Christmas because these people don't get along with these people and if we get together it's going to be really bad and all of these things that we try to get through and and for many of us Christmas has become something that we just have to survive we just have to get through it now of course we know what Christmas is all about right We know why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus was born, and so we we celebrate that. But then, you know, I think about it. I was thinking about if if my wife was talking to me about my birthday and celebrating that, and the way that she talked to me about it was, yeah, I guess I'm just going to find a way to get through it. Thank you. Happy birthday. I feel really good about our relationship right now, right? That, that doesn't feel great. And yet that's how we look at Jesus' birthday sometimes is, you know, we've just got to get through it. We've got all of the things that we have to do and we have no idea how we're going to pay for everything, but we can't buy less because people, the, how much you love someone is defined by how much you spent on them, right? And, and so that's unthinkable and, and all of these things and, then, you know, and then the bills, the credit card bills come in January and we've got to figure out how we're going to pay for all those things and, and Christmas is tough. You know, and, and we worry, we obsess, we overspend on, on people who already have too much, right? Do you know very many people who, who have not enough in, in our culture? Uh, so I've, I've lived in my house for six months now. I'm past the point of having an excuse for still having boxes lying around, right? Six months, we're past that. And yet, whenever I've got so many boxes in my garage, I have to really squeeze to get into my car. Although, I can get my car into the garage now, so that's an improvement. But I've got way too much stuff, and the fact that it's been in a box for six months probably tells me how useful it is, but I can't get rid of any of it. I might need it. And, and so I've got all of this stuff, and I'm going to get more stuff whenever Christmas comes. And, you know... I, And I don't mean this as I'm not talking down to anyone because I'm really talking to myself because I've got some things on my Christmas list. Also, I'm 33 years old and I still have a Christmas list. But I've got some things on my list that I'm pretty excited about that I hope are under the tree with my name on them and I'm looking forward to using or, or whatever. I get excited about that, and I know that's not what Christmas is about. I, I've always known that, and yet somehow I forget. Somehow I get caught up in it. And, and now I've got a kid, and, and I'm excited for her. I want her to be excited on Christmas morning and, and get things that bring her joy and that make her happy, and I want to see a smile on her face. But I also know that if I'm not careful, that the way that I act... Can teach her that Christmas is really about her, and that the most important thing is what she gets. And, and so I'm trying to figure out how do I balance these things. Like I don't want to be the person who, um, you know, says, "Hey, Merry Christmas! You have food on the table. You're welcome." and I also don't want to spoil my child. I want her to know that it's about Jesus. And so how do we figure that out? That's really kind of what we're talking about. How do, how do we balance this? Because one of the struggles that we have, and, and here's, here's something that's going to be completely unsurprising to all of you, is that Christmas has been co-opted by consumerism, right? I mean, as, as soon as, as we're past Halloween, sometimes even before that, we start seeing the commercials about all the things that we need to buy, and, and we need to be one of those spouses that goes out and, and makes a significant financial decision without consulting their spouse and has a car in the driveway to surprise them. Now, Unless your disposable income is, is like 100 times mine, that's probably not a decision that I would recommend making on your own. But, but there's all of this pressure to buy things, to express our love that way, and, and to show people all of these things based, based on money. And, and we get so caught up on in it that, that it's easy. It's easy for all of us, even those of us who know better. Usually I think of myself as someone who knows better, but I still get up, caught up in, in the cultural whirlwind and kind of the familial expectations and all of those things. And it's difficult, and I find myself just trying to survive Christmas. And yet there's so much more, because if we only survive Christmas, we miss the life-changing hope of Jesus' coming. Because what we're, this isn't just about moralizing, you know, well, Jesus is the reason for the season, so you need to feel bad about buying stuff. I mean, that's not the purpose. If, if that's your takeaway, don't leave it. Don't, don't take it away. The reason is because Jesus' birth actually changes everything. It actually changes everything. It changed everything 2,000 years ago, and if we let it today, it will change our lives. It still has the power to change our lives. No matter what we're going through, it has the power to inspire hope in us and to change us, and through us, to change the world. That's the power of Jesus' birth today. And, and if we miss that, then we've missed everything. We've missed the most important thing. Because who cares if we got everything we wanted? Who cares if we crossed off every list and satisfied all the people that we had to and got our Christmas cards on time? If we miss Jesus, what's the point? If we miss the hope, what's the point? And so that's our hope for this series is, is that you'll experience that, that you'll experience it in a powerful way that, that you won't just survive Christmas, that you'll experience Jesus' hope in a powerful way that will not let you be the same anymore. Because the world needs us to be changed. We need it in our individual life, but the world needs us as well. Because this Christmas, while while we're trying to survive it in in a figurative way, while we're trying to get through it, and, and I'll be honest, for me, most of the time, if I'm worried about surviving Christmas, it's about not making dumb financial decisions and spending more than I have, and it's about stress control. I mean, there are other things sometimes, but those are the primary two things that I try to get through that I struggle with. But for some people, they're literally trying to survive this Christmas. There's some people who, who do not know how they're going to get from where they are now to make it into 2019, where, how they're going to eat between now and then, where they're going to sleep between now and then. And the world needs people who have been so filled with the hope of Jesus that we're going to go out and make life better for people like that. Many of you know um, Pastor Mark and his wife Chantel are in uh, Turkey right now visiting a family that we have who are serving there, the Simants family. Some of you know the Simants family. There's Chantelle with uh, Michael and Emily and their children. And, and even if you know the Simants family, you don't know Lydia, um, who Emily is holding. She was born in Turkey. And so uh, um, the fosters got to meet them for the first time. And so part of the reason that they're there is to, is to support them in the work that they're doing, to encourage them, to let them know that people stateside haven't forgotten about them. But it's also so that Mark can go and, and, and Chantel can go and see the situation of, of refugees who are fleeing from Syria. Um, Turkey's right there in the area, and many of the refugees who are fleeing the civil war in, in Syria have actually fled into Turkey. And so he's going to, to find more out about that, to, to share that with us and to help us to know how can people of faith be, uh, how can people of faith bless people who've lost everything and are just trying to survive? That's also the reason Pastor Mark and I traveled to Mexico last month. We went and, um, and saw in Tijuana the YMCA, YMCA Casa for Migrant Youth. I get the Spanish and the English mixed up. It's not because my Spanish is so good, um, the opposite. But, but we went and we saw this house, this um, casa, that they have for, for youth who, who are migrants. And so there basically there are four of these along the U.S.-Mexico border. We went to Tijuana, where one of them is. And what we, what we were there for was to, to meet some of the young people. The youth, the people we met were 14 to 17 years old, and to hear their stories, and so the, the people that they served, there were kind of two groups that they primarily served. One of those were people who have come up from other places in Mexico or from Central America, from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and were coming there to apply for asylum in the United States and, and were waiting. At the time that we were there, at the beginning of November, there were about 2,500 people who were waiting to, to be processed in, in the asylum process. And they were getting through about 50 per day. So that's about a 50-day waiting period, almost two months. So people who, who arrived at the same time we did and, uh, and applied for asylum at that time, they, they've still got about a month before, before they get processed if the waiting time um, remains consistent. And so these youths, whenever they come, these young people, if, if they, they're not fleeing, because they've got a lot and they're looking for a better place to go, right? I mean, they're leaving because they're hoping for for um, a better life. Because their their life is not sustainable in some situations. Because home is not safe, and so they don't have the means to support themselves for 50 days while they wait. And so this house provides shelter. It provides a safe place to sleep. It provides meals so that they can so that they can be safe and have a place to stay while they wait for that process. They're also, um, they also serve children in Mexico who have um, crossed illegally into the United States and then are sent back to their country. And so um, whenever, whenever a minor is caught and, and has entered the United States illegally, they're sent back to the country they came from. And so whenever they're sent back to Mexico, the Mexican government, their, um, their Child Protective Services equivalent, calls the, the workers at the house the CASA, and they go and pick them up, and then they have a place to stay and to kind of recover and to have meals provided so that they can reach out and connect with their families and then reunite the family. And so that's some of the work that they're doing there. And it was just amazing to hear these children's stories and uh, the things that they've had to worry about at age 14 to 17 are just unbelievable, things that I never even thought of whenever I was that age that, that I still don't even begin to register. One of, one of the most... Um, one of the moments that stands out most is whenever we were talking to them, we were kind of just getting to know them. And, and Uriel Gonzalez is the director. He was kind of translating for us. And, and so we just kind of asked, like, what do you do for fun? And he thought that wasn't quite the right question. He asked, well, when was the last time that you played? And it was just silent. It was just silent. 14 to 17-year-olds couldn't remember the last time that they played. For me, any time that I was age 14 to 17, the answer was today. And for them, just, just silence, and it was just heartbreaking to think about the kind of things that they're having to deal with at that age. Now, I know if we surveyed the congregation, we would have, uh, if we talked about our views on immigration policy, we would have views from the right to the left and everywhere in between, and I think I don't think there's one specific position that Christians have to have. We can, we can see that differently. One thing that, that we really can't disagree about is that God, God has called us to love the refugee and the stranger. That's, that's what the scripture says. And so we can, we can differ about how we live out that love at a policy level, but I hope that as we're sharing these stories from, from Mexico and from Turkey, that as you hear these, that, that you'll think about what do we as people of faith, what can we do to share the hope that we have at Christmas? How does our Christmas hope make a difference for children and young people in those situations. You can see this is the plaque above the doorway. Whenever um, children come into the house, what they see is whoever receives um, one of these children in my name receives me quoting Jesus, and so um, just kind of um, epitomizes their mission and the great work that they're doing, and um, I thank God that there are people like Uriel who work there who provide a safe place for children who are in that situation. We'll, we'll share a little bit more today and in the weeks to come about what we learned while we were there, but, but the question that I want to ask this morning is, is, how does the way that we celebrate Christmas make a difference for them? And how can we celebrate in a way that helps us to experience the hope that Jesus brings? And how can we experience in a way that leads us to share that hope with others? So that it doesn't just stay with us, but actually allows us to share it. And then how can we carry that into the new year? Because really, I mean, if it stops like December 25th, it's like, okay, Jesus, I shared your hope. I'm done. On to the next thing. Then we've also missed the point, right? I mean, the joy of Christmas and the hope carries with us. And it doesn't stay there. It continues. And so that's the question that we're asking today, is how can we celebrate, how can we experience that and share it as we go through Christmas? So what we're talking about is is how do we celebrate Jesus' coming? How do we respond to his coming? Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. How how do we respond to that in a way that's faithful? And so to answer that, we're looking to the scriptures. We're going to ask, how did the first people who responded to this, how, how did they respond? And what can we learn from that? So we're starting in the gospel of Luke chapter 1. And you heard the scripture that we read, but Luke tells the story of Mary. You may have heard of her. Um, She is a young woman who um, just was engaged to a man named Joseph and received a visit from an angel that totally turned her life upside down. So um, scholars estimate that she was around 14. There's some variance there. We don't know exactly, but, but she was young, although at an age that, that was typical in that culture for women to be married, she was engaged to a man named Joseph. Um, they probably had a, a stable living, but a modest one. Uh, we know whenever they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus that uh, they offered a sacrifice of of turtle doves and not a calf or something bigger. And so that probably signifies that, that they weren't just um, really wealthy, but, but uh, had a more modest means. And, but she had, um, she had hope of a stable income, of a, of a stable future. And, um, and that was tied to her being engaged. If you're a woman in that culture, your livelihood was tied to the men that you were connected to. And so for her, that was her source of security for the future was being in that relationship. And then she received a visit from an angel who said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary wondered what kind of greeting that could be. That's what, that's what the Bible says. My, my thought is, okay, what is, he, what is he sweet-talking me for? What's coming? And, uh, and so he, he said, um, told her this good news that the Messiah was coming, the long-awaited Savior that the people of Israel had looked to for hundreds of years, ever since Jerusalem was conquered and they were driven out and taken into exile in Babylon, the, the Savior they would, had yearned for who would come and would rescue them, would save the people from their sins and bring them healing and restoration and justice, that, that Savior was coming, and she was the one who was going to be his mother. She was going to give birth to him. And, uh, and so she was thinking about this, and she thought, all right, this is my translation. You can't actually find this exactly in the Bible but she was thinking about this, and she said, okay, my parents had the talk with me. This, you know, there's, there's something missing in this equation. How, how is this going to happen? And the angel said to her, with God, all things will be possible. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will conceive a child and you'll name him Jesus. And, and so she, what's really interesting is the way that she responded. I bet there was a lot going on in her head. We don't know exactly what that looked like. But the way that she responded was, here I am, God's servant. Let it be as you say. Let it be as you say. Now imagine being in that situation, knowing that you are engaged, that that's your source of security, and then having to have this conversation with your fiance. hi. I'm pregnant, don't worry, the baby is God's, how do you think that's going to go? That's, that's not one that I would be eager to have. Or having that, that same conversation with your parents, hey mom and dad, guess what? Is anyone excited to have that conversation? No, I, I, it makes me nervous just thinking about it. And yet her response was obedience, We see more about the way that she responded. Later on, she went and she spent time with her cousin, Elizabeth, who would go on to be, uh, Elizabeth was also pregnant. She would become John the Baptist's mother. But she went to spend time with her, and, and the way that she responded, whenever she got there, it wasn't, Elizabeth, you will never believe this. My life is so messed up, or I had everything planned out, and then God came and ruined it. That's not what she said. Her response to the good news of Jesus' coming is worship. She worshiped. Now, I'm a preacher, so I know I'm supposed to be really holy, but if that happened to me, worship is not the way that I would respond. And worship is what Mary did. This is what she said. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the lowliness of his servant with favor. From this time on, all generations will call me blessed, because God has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She responds by praising God, by by worshiping, because of what God is doing through her. And I think that probably part of that was she knew that this was going to change the trajectory of her life, that everything she thought was going to happen, that everything she had planned was not going to happen anymore. But she knew that because of this, all people would be blessed, that the entire world would be changed because of the child that she would give birth to. And so she responded by worshiping. And, and this is what she says, she, so what this, she continues, this is what she says about God. God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She praises God for being merciful. She says has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of, his, of their hearts. God has shown strength and God has scattered the people who, are, who by pride press down others. She says he's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's raised up the people who have been trod upon, who have been oppressed, who have struggled. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That God gives people who are hungry food, that God cares for people. Now that last part, since the rich away empty, as I'm reading this, I'm kind of like, Mary, could you tone it down a little bit? Like, I've got to preach this. and, And I don't know, that sounds a little bit radical, but the gospel is radical, and one of the things that we see in, in throughout Jesus' ministry and, and through what Mary says here is that God does lift up the lowly. And while God doesn't push away anyone who, who's not lowly, God does expect them to repent of things that harm the lowly. If, if there are things in the way that we live that harm others, that make life harder for people who are struggling, God expects us to change that and to live differently because the hope that Jesus brings is good news to them. And so we see the way that Mary worships. She responds to Jesus' coming by worshiping, and this is the way that she worships. What does her worship look like? It looks first like praising God for who God is and what God has done, that God has brought salvation to his people. And second, it looks like mercy and justice for those who are in need. That's what worship looks like. It's not just what we say. It's also the way that we live and the way that we live out God's desire to provide mercy and justice for everyone. And so whenever we look at this we see jesus was jesus prophesied coming that that she was told that she would become pregnant that she would give birth to messiah this is how she responds and so what we can learn from that what we also see is is basically everyone else who encounters jesus responds by worshiping as well if we look at at the shepherds if we look at the magi the wise men if we look at the angels all of them respond by worshiping and and so we ask if that's how they respond then how do we respond how do you think that we respond with worship. And so that starts here, right? You're here this morning or else you're listening on the podcast. That's great. So you've got the first part down. You don't even have to work on that. You've got it. And so we gather and we worship together. We praise God for all that God has done in in history and in our individual lives. We hear the words so that we can learn more so that we can grow in our faith and be shaped after the image of Jesus. And we receive the grace of God at, at the table. We celebrate what God is doing in us and through us. We all get to be a part of that but does it stop here? I, I was trying to say that in a way that, that led to the answer no being spoken. I think I heard it somewhere, but no, it doesn't stop here. Like like if we come here and, and we worship and we leave and nothing is different about the way that we live our lives, do you, do you think that's got what God wants for us? No, whenever we come here, the, the power of God that we experience can't just stay in here but it has to go with us it shapes every moment of our lives and so whenever we worship it's not just something that happens for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday it's something that that goes out into every aspect of our lives it changes the way that we live it changes the way that we interact with others we live lives of worship worship becomes the fundamental orientation of our lives it becomes our way of life so that everything we do is an act of worship and it totally reshapes everything. So that's what it looks like. It looks like, like, li- like coming together to praise God in community. That's good and important and vital for us as people of faith. But then it affects the way that we live out in the world as well. And especially the way that we treat the people who are struggling. Because one of the things that, that we see in Mary, Mary reminds us that if it's not good, to, good news to the poor, it's not the gospel of Jesus. If it's not good news to the poor, it's not the gospel of Jesus. Jesus went after he was baptized into the wilderness for 40 days and fasted and was tempted and then whenever he came out he went to the synagogue and the first thing that he preached on was from Isaiah chapter 61 he said the spirit of the lord is upon me he has anointed me to preach good news to who to the poor and I've got to admit, as someone who lives a pretty comfortable life, I sometimes complain that like there are nicer houses than mine on my block. But I've got a pretty comfortable life. I don't I don't lack for I don't lack for anything I need. And there are a few things that I want that I lack for either. That's hard for me to remember sometimes. I forget that God doesn't just care about me and my family. God does more than I can understand. But God cares also for the people who are struggling, who are are at the bottom, and who are just trying to get by. And God wants me not just to to think about them, but then to live out my faith, to live out my life, to worship in a way that blesses them and makes their life better, in a way that shares the hope that I have with others. Whenever we were in Mexico, we heard some really tough stories, and, and just like I said, some things that people had to deal with that at their age, I can't imagine, and even as an adult, that I really can't imagine going through. And, and it, it was hard. We heard the story of a girl named Daisy. She's 15 years old, and she's from El Salvador. And um, she was in a situation where home was not a safe place for her, and she had to leave. And uh, in the state of the Salvadorian government, getting help from them was not an option. And so she left. At age 15, she, she hired a smuggler to take her, and with no family members, she walked for 22 days to get to Tijuana. Can you imagine walking anywhere for 22 days? Let alone area that's controlled by drug cartels where uh, being a young woman in, in that situation is extremely unsafe, where you can imagine just an awful situation where all kinds of threats were, were at hand and yet she made that journey. That's, that's how desperately she needed to get away. And so we met her there, and she was gracious enough to tell us about her story. And um, so we're going to watch. She, she allowed us to film that so we could show it. But um, for her protection, we didn't film her face. You'll see the back of her head. And, and she's telling her story. She doesn't speak English. And so she was speaking to Uriel, the director, and he's translating for us. And, and so this is, this is Daisy's story. Well,
1: my name is Dora Daisy, and I'm 15 years old y me tengo de salir de allá fue porque a abusaron de mí por mi abuelo y no lo Sí. The main purpose of why I left El Salvador is because I was sexually abused by my grandparents. Um. So I couldn't hold the uh, more of that. ¿Pasa pasó penitente?
0: sí estoy pidiendo
1: asilo para poder pasar allá. So, I'm looking for the opportunity to ask for asylum as a victim of um abuse. So, hopefully, that will happen. ¿A dónde te gustaría llegar o qué te gustaría saber después?
0: Me gustaría llegar a Salina, donde
1: están mis hermanas y mi hermano I have, uh, I would like to. Arrive in Salinas, California, where my sisters live. And hopefully I will get there and have the opportunity to go to school. I have two sisters living in, in Salinas, California. And I would like to uh, be a police officer. So, hopefully, that dream
0: can make them true. At 15 years old, home is a place that is not safe. I traveled 22 days through some of the most dangerous places that you can imagine. And what's really amazing to me is that she wants to become a police officer. She wants to be someone who protects, who ensures justice for others. So that others might not have to experience what she did here's what i've been wrestling with in the aftermath of this how does the way that i celebrate christmas affect people like daisy if jesus is the hope of the world and that's what i'm celebrating how is that hope for people like her because mary reminds us that jesus came exactly for people like her for people who have to go through unthinkable things who who have endured awful awful things and jesus came to bring them hope and not just them but, but for us as well even those of us who are on top jesus brings that same hope for us because jesus coming doesn't just mean presents and food and cards it means peace and hope and healing for everyone not just for some of us not just for church people for everyone. So this is the good news of Christmas, that Jesus came exactly for people like her. And Jesus came exactly for people like you and for people like me. He comes and still gives us hope today through his life, through his teaching, through his death, and through his resurrection, that he offers each of us abundant life, starting now, starting today. And he offers that to her as well. And it gives us the opportunity to partner with him in sharing hope with people like Daisy. Because whenever we worship fully at Christmas, we experience and share the hope of the world. And that's Jesus. Whenever we worship fully, not just on Sundays, whenever we worship as a way of life, we're actually experiencing that hope and we have the privilege of sharing it. That we who have been blessed with so much have the privilege of sharing it with people like Daisy who don't have that who are struggling and who need help we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of christ and because of what he has done we have hope because he came she has hope And so how do we live this out how do we live lives of worship i hope we've talked about a few things but here are a few specific action steps that i hope you'll take this week first i hope that you'll take some time and review your plans review your calendar Look and see, what are, what are the things that I have planned? What are the things that I have going on? Am I overscheduled so that I won't be able to worship fully? Do I have too many things on my calendar to allow me to worship Jesus fully? Because it's hard whenever you're just running from one thing to the next. And here's the secret, don't tell anyone I told you. You can say no. It's okay, you can say no to things. And, and so look at that, look at what are my plans and how do I make room to worship fully? Both, both on Sundays and Every day of the week, and then look at at your plans, at presents you're going to give, at the amount you're going to spend, and ask how how can I spend what I have in a way that blesses that blesses Jesus and that blesses His people. I'm not saying don't buy things. I'm I'm still going to buy things, but but how can we do that differently so that we can bless others? I, I told you I started my shopping in October. I'm really proud about that, so I brought it up twice. But I found this gift that I thought, I was shopping for a couple, and I found this gift that I thought was just perfect. I was really excited about getting it for them, but, but there's a problem. It cost half as much as I had planned to spend on them. And so what did I think? i got to buy something else, right? Because if I don't, I only love them half as much. It's ridiculous, right? But we fall into that way of thinking. And so I thought, you know what? I don't have to spend money just so that I can give them something to say that I spent money on something, So instead, I'm going to take the amount that I was going to spend and I'm going to add it to what we give on our Christmas Eve offering. And I'm going to write them a letter and it's going to say, this is what this money is going, I I gave it in honor of you, and these are the people that are going to be blessed through it. And so that way I I can take this, this really foolish notion that the more I spend, the more I love, and turn it into something that blesses people who are in need people who are like Daisy. And so maybe there are opportunities like that for you if you take just some time and review what are our plans? What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our resources? How can we worship fully? So we're talking about how can we, prayer, how can we prepare and pray and experience the hope of the world? So also, I, I hope that you'll pray. And specifically, Here's, here's the thing, even if we refocus and, and are really centered on, on what the meaning of Christmas is, we're probably still going to be stressed sometimes, right? So, so I'll just go ahead and tell you, I did not just solve all of your Christmas worries with my wisdom. I, I'm sorry. If that's what you expected, then you might be disappointed. So we're still going to have the stress. It, it's still going to happen. So here's what I hope is that whenever you find yourself stressing, it, is that you'll, you'll pray this prayer. This is a breath prayer. It's a way of praying and you just, a, a, it's a way of kind of integrating prayer with your breath, and so when you breathe in, you silently pray the first half of the prayer, and when you breathe out, you silently pray the other half, and, and so this, this, whenever you find yourself in, in those moments of, I've just got to survive Christmas, pray this prayer, and, and whenever you breathe in, pray, Lord Jesus, and whenever you breathe out, pray, fill me with your hope, and so I'm going to lead us through this a few times, and we'll practice, and you can just pray this silently with me, so breathe in, Lord Jesus, fill me with your hope. Breathe in, Lord Jesus, fill me with your hope. Lord Jesus, fill me with your hope. And you notice that as you breathe that, for one, just breathing slowly is, is good for bringing your heart rate down, right? But then as we pray that prayer, we remember who our hope is, that our hope doesn't depend on getting all the stuff that we want, It doesn't depend on making everyone happy because we went to all the events that they asked us to come to. It doesn't depend on buying the perfect gift that that your loved one wants so much. It depends on Him. And and as we pray that prayer it'll reshape us and remind us of where our hope truly comes from. And it'll also remind us what's really important. If Jesus is the hope of the world then, then how is the way that I'm celebrating hope for people who are struggling? And then finally pray for children who are seeking safety. They're Thousands of children like Daisy who don't know where they're going to sleep tonight, who are struggling, who don't have a safe place to go. Uh, According to a UNICEF report, there are 300,000 unaccompanied minor children in the world. So pray for them. Pray for wisdom for our leaders to find out the best way to care for them. Pray for how God is calling you to serve them. Pray for God's hope for them. This Christmas, I hope that you don't just survive. I mean, I I hope you do survive. That's good. That's important, but I hope that you do much more than that. I hope that you experience the hope that Jesus brings. I hope you experience that hope that Mary sung about that, that so fills you that you can't keep it to yourself that you just find yourself blurting out with your relatives so they all think you're weird. My soul magnifies the Lord. I hope that you experience that because that's the hope that Jesus brings, not just a, oh yeah, remember the reason for the season and feel bad about it but that Jesus brings the hope of the world that will change your every moment. And Jesus brings a hope that will not just change things for us, but that will change things for people like Daisy, for people in awful, hopeless situations will find a hope that is more powerful than they can even imagine. Because that's what we celebrate whenever we celebrate Christmas. The Christ has come, that, that God was born, and that changed everything. We you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for people like Mary who show us what it looks like to worship faithfully, who show us what it looks like to experience the power of your hope. So God, we pray this morning, fill us with your hope. Fill us with your power and help us so to be filled that we cannot help but overflow. And let the way that we celebrate your Son's coming be good news to everyone, to the poor, to the rich, to the hopeless, to everyone. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. We join now and pray together the the prayer that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done